This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com. In your life on this Friday, September 17th, 2021. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new edition of the Ringer MMA show. So, when we signed off on Saturday night, <clears throat> I think my voice cracked at the beginning of all this, just for the record. I'm sorry about that. I'm just going through a lot this past week. Uh, as we signed off on Saturday, I told you no show this weekend because, you know, bit of a thin UFC card, although I'm into the main event. A bit of a thin Bellator card also on Saturday, but I'm into the main event. Uh, but we figured we wouldn't give it the old, you know, Ringer MMA treatment. But then a whole bunch of news happened uh, over the last few days, in particular the last couple days. And so we thought uh, to set you up for the weekend, to recap it all, we jump on here on our Spotify greenroom app. We appreciate everyone who is uh, joining us live. And uh, the pod, of course, will be up on the Ringer MMA Show podcast feeds afterwards. We thought we'd jump on here to talk about it all, put it all in perspective. We'll, we're going to be doing this as well. It's not just going to be, you know, the, the pre and post shows. We're going to be doing uh, news and notes shows, breaking news shows, all that and more. So I hope that you have subscribed to the feeds by now. I'm Ariel Hawani. Got three pack in the house. We got Chuck Minnenhall in Connecticut. We got Pete Carroll in Ireland. Chuck, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm glad we're doing one of these. It feels very MMA beat-esque, doesn't it? We got topics rather than an event. I wasn't going to say. I, w- you know, you I didn't want to be it. the one to say. Everyone's, When's the beat coming back? When's the beat? I didn't want to be they the like one to say. But, you know. They like the visual, you know what I mean? But that's okay. We, we like doing it this No, way. this is nice. I don't have to get dressed up. I don't have to break out yeah. another one of my uh, plaid shirts. This is very nice, if you ask me. Uh, PT, what's the crack? What's up, man? Very, very good. Um, two big losses. In the world of MMA this week, due to retirement, oh, wow. Ariel. Wow, look at that voice. Very emotional. That voice change was <laughs> very, very nice. emotional. It's seductive. Yeah. Uh, yes. All right. So we got a lot to talk about, guys. And of course, uh, TST is here. He's rocking his Halsey shirt, one of three shirts yeah. that he owns, for the record. Uh, <laughs> and so he's looking great. Actually, too. This one's reversible. Oh, <laughs> yeah. In his uh, minimalist abode. But yes, uh, without further ado, let's get into it. And again, thank you to everyone who has uh, jumped in and is joining us live. Uh, two big uh, retirements this week, and in classic MMA fashion, they just kind of 
happened. Uh, no big to do, no press conference, n- not even a, a social media post, to be honest, uh, from either guy. First, it was uh, Joseph Benavidez. Uh, we found out Wednesday afternoon had called it a career, one of the uh, the best flyweight fighters of all time, former WEC and UFC title contender. And then uh, Thursday night, we find out that Carlos Condit, the natural-born killer himself, the former WEC welterweight champion, the former UFC interim welterweight champion, former UFC welterweight title contender as well, had called it a career. Uh, Chuck, let's start with you. Carlos Condit, let's talk about him first. When I say Carlos Condit, because, you know, here's the thing. Um, not a major player right now in the game. A lot of new fans, uh, given you know the ESPN audience and, and and the growth of the sport. I'm not. I want to be clear. I'm not hating on TST when I say this. I love the guy like a brother. But one thing he said in our text group really stuck with me last night when we were talking about: Do we do this show tonight on Thursday night, or do we wait till Uh-oh. Friday? And what TST said, and again. This is out of love. He's a newer fan. He said, not big enough for tonight. Wow, and I took that personally. Go round and round. I took it personally. Carlos Condit isn't big enough. We live in a time where Carlos Condit, the natural born freaking killer himself, isn't big enough. So please, when I say Carlos Condit, oh, Chuck, man. what comes to mind? Well, I think he's a legend, man. I mean, I, I think that we had a deep, especially because you've been, you've been kind of covering this sport since what? The mid-aughts? Somewhere in there, like maybe later. What, what does that two, mean? The middle. Well, you know, like to, to, you know, like the mid two thousands, like yeah, two thousand five, sure. six, seven, somewhere in that range. Same with me. I think when uh, you know when he was on his WEC tear, uh, that he just kind of developed. Like he was one of those initial guys that ha- kind of had that nickname. I remember, um, you know, them them doing the promos on him and everything. So there was this deep reverence for me from the beginning and uh he was the type of guy if you miss some of his early fights like i wasn't around to watch the rumble on the rocks and things like that but they became sort of legendary based on the stories and the names involved with them and then you go back and then it just kind of deepened this reverence of uh this guy who was uh you know shining before i even knew who he was and all that stuff so i've held that the whole way man at some point guys like that the wins and losses don't matter so much the legacy was always in the game right like the gamesmanship he's always game to go in there and just chin check with you and uh and just put on a crazy fight and so to me, man, I mean, he's just a legend, and I, I you knew this day was going to come. I thought it would actually come a couple of years ago. Uh, he held on for a little while, even went went through like a little bit of a late career resurgence with a couple of wins there. Um, but it's it was a fun career, but he's definitely, man, I, I feel like he's, a, you know, I know the Hall of Fame is a, a strange UFC, you know, uh, driven oh, we'll thing alone. That we'll <laughs> yeah, that yeah. But, uh, but I, he, for me, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer. What about you, PT? When you think of Carlos Condit, his legacy, his body of work, what he represented, what comes to mind? Yeah, I think he's one of the most um, must-see fighters in memory. Every time Condit's on a card, you're looking forward to his fight. Obviously, as Chuck mentioned, you know he had that he had that fight-fight skid. But um, the WEC wasn't shown here uh, up until about 2010, so he was already in the UFC. But I can remember the buzz when he was coming into his UFC debut to fight Martin Kampen, I think it was. And he, he lost that fight, but he would go on to prove himself, as I said, as one of the most exciting fighters to ever get into the octagon. His fight with McDonald, Johnny Hendricks, the second Kampen fight, and obviously the infamous Robbie Lawler fight. Absolutely unbelievable. Just some of the best fights you'll ever see. You know, on top of those kind of long battles he was in he had those beautiful knockouts of dan hardy that's when it really came came crashing mm-hmm. home to the european fans when he dispatched dan hardy the way he did and then of course dong young kim um and even like i said i have to say like during that five fight streak it was kind of like 
what what is he still doing here for some at some point because he he had been at the high the the highest of highs in the sport and there was the questions about what's going on here when he's in the skid but the fact that he came through that and then rectified it with the wins um over matt brown uh, and um court mcgee i believe it was I, I think that's absolutely amazing um that he was he managed to do that I think he's the best fight, one of the best fighters to never become an undisputed champion. And I think if you look at the people that are around him in that group, there's several of them. There's the Diaz's, there's Rory McDonald, there's Masvidal. There was lots in that welterweight group that never became champion, that are that considered the best fighters in the UFC to never become a champion. So I, I think he's amazing. And I think it's a real pity that he never got to, to hold the undisputed yeah. title despite having the interim one. Remember how close he came well, against George like, You can tell he me, cracked him in that fight. A lot of people... A lot of people feel he, he should have won that night against Robbie Lawler, that amazing final round they had. What did you guys yeah. do? What did you two yeah. guys think of that? Well, I thought that. Uh, I mean, I at the time I have not rewatched that fight because it was so brutal. I the, we could get into that a little bit because that was the brutal era of that division, man. It was just these butchers just sh- taking years off each other's lives. It was just really bad stuff there for a minute, but really fascinating. I thought in real time that Lawler won the fight, um, so I didn't have a big problem with it, but I was more referring to, you were in Montreal, Ariel, you saw that moment where GSP got cracked and, and looked wobbled, and uh, I thought for just a minute, I remember this, like, Carlos Condit is the new, is, is going to do one of these, it wasn't quite Matt Sarah, but it was close, it was like this feeling of, he's going to go into Montreal, and Carlos Condit's going to take the belt. It had this this brief second there where I thought he got it done. Oh yeah, that was a great um, that was a great moment, and even GSP himself, when he retired, uh, mentioned how that's the proudest moment of his career that he was able to overcome that moment because he hit him so hard. Uh, our good friend Esther Lynn has a great photo of uh, of GSP after that fight at the post fight press yeah. conference with the uh, the ice on his on his head and just look. I mean, it's just an iconic photo. It's amazing to see how beat he up looks he like he's traumatized. Yeah. He's just staring off into the distance. And honestly, I think that, you know, was part of the reason why he ended up leaving after, you know, the, the beating that he took in that fight and in those last few fights, Johnny Hendricks as well. I have a, you know, I have a great reverence for Carlos Condit because, like I said, you know, you said, PT, he, uh, you know, he was in those WEC days and you guys didn't get WEC over in Europe until later. Um, he was one of those guys like Faber, like Cruz, like Brian Bowles, like Miguel Torres, who, in my opinion, were the faces of WEC and the welterweight division, the middleweight division, the light heavyweight division, the lightweight division in WEC sometimes didn't get the love and respect that it deserved because those were the weight classes that were, um, you know, duplicated in the UFC. It was really like 135 and 145, which would often get the love because those weight classes weren't in the UFC. But Condit deserved a lot of credit for carrying uh, WC in those versus days and then in the UFC had great moments and and I love that Robbie Lawler fight it's one of my favorites of all time UFC 195 in what was in my opinion still to this moment the best year in UFC history 2016 was the mm. year where we saw you know Connor Nate one and two UFC 200 Ronda you know returning um, I believe there were five pay-per-views in 2016 that did over a million buys. And of course, they sold the company in 2016 as well. However, on the second day of 2016, we got the fight of the year, 
Lawler, Condit, and we got the round of the year, round five of that fight. I thought Condit won. I thought he did enough. Unfortunately, he didn't get the nod. He lost via split decision, but it was the fight of the night. It was the fight of the year, in my opinion. It was the round of the year, round five, and just one of those no-nonsense, like not the best interview out there, not the flashiest guy out there, uh, a no-nonsense, all-action, fighter's fighter type of guy who did it the right way, who didn't cheat, didn't do it. Like, just, I mean, I just have so much love, and you know, I have to say, and this is not trying to make it about me or us. It's about Carlos. It's about Benavides. It's about the fighters. But Chuck, I wonder if you feel the same way to a degree, because um, you said you mentioned this at the top. I feel like I'm starting to have a bit of survivor's guilt now when I'm when I'm <laughs> when I'm seeing these guys walk away because these guys are you know around our age. Um, Condit's a little bit younger than me, and these were the guys that for the most part, all of us kind of started our careers in MMA journalism mm -hmm. covering when they were baby faces. And right. now they're leaving and mm -hmm. we're still around and hopefully yeah. thriving and have many years left. And they have to look for new jobs and they have to worry about their futures in their late 30s. They have to worry about what do I do now? You know, where do I, where do I make money? How do I support my family? And I feel like it's so unfair. Like we get to stick around. We all came in together. We get to stick around and they don't. And I feel really guilty about that. I feel really bad about that. Is that crazy? <laughs> And you didn't even go through a war with Robbie Lawler. No, you know and I mean? that's the thing. Maybe a verbal war. Not yet. No, but I, uh, I agree. It's a, um, it's a strange game. You know, it's coming. It's, it's funny though because this sport being so young, it's not as chronicled. We haven't really seen. We are kind of like the, the generation of journalists that are like the first generation going through this uh the, the the first generation the first big wave of fighters like that were uh during the boom era at least in sanction and all that so it's a little bit unique um i always feel a little different for guys like condit because you mentioned he doesn't have this kind of magnetic personality he doesn't have like this charisma and this it factor on the microphone. Like he's not, you know, he was always very respectful. He's always down to earth. And if you ever talk to him, he's like talking to, you know, just a buddy, you know, like he just, he talks to you um, as normal as you want. He, he's not about the hype. He's all about just going out there and doing it. Now, how does that translate into his career afterwards or what he's going to do? It's always a little different, right? I think that the glamour positions like, uh, you know, working a microphone or getting a job, um, you know, using his name. It's probably not an option for him, you know what I mean? Like, so you wonder what he's going to do. I'm sure he'll stay involved with martial arts, um, but it'll probably be more behind the scenes. So you always do feel like you're kind of losing something when one of these guys walks away. And I agree with you just off the top, man. You mentioned that there's not a lot, and I saw your column too about how you know it's tough because these guys don't. It doesn't feel like you're celebrating them for as much impact as they made in the moment. You know, and you could go back to these specific moments when they were big and they were kind of dominating the, you know, um, the psyche of the fight game for a minute, or at least for their event. It doesn't seem like there's enough hoopla around it when they leave. And, uh, you know, in fact, it's, you know, it's deafening how quiet it can be. You know what I mean? Like, because uh, because of guys like that, you think there should be tributes besides just media tributes. There should be more of a, you know, the UFC should be planning for this type of thing, the same way that the New York Times plans deaths with their old bits. You know what I mean? It's like you, they should be planning for these these guys who are going to leave. I get it. And, uh, and have won't. something prepared for they them. They won't because yeah. cause the sport is such a, I mean, it's just like it's, a, it's on a conveyor belt 
Um, it goes at a rapid speed. This week, we're all talking about Anthony Smith, and then by Tuesday, Anthony yes. Smith will be forgotten about, and it'll be about the return of Nick Man. Diaz and Alexander Volkanovsky, and then it'll be about the years next... ago. Yeah, years ago, we talked about this very thing. It was like the 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 model itself is built to move forward. It's never, it's not really built to look backward unless it's relevant to the forward, right? Like so, as soon as you get a guy who's either on a big losing streak or he's retiring quietly after a career. Unfortunately, he's already so quiet that we're so far forward, we're not even... To look that far back is almost uh, the the anomaly, right? Like, you don't really do that in this sport, which we should. A lot of people have brought this up. PT. PT. I don't know if... P- I think PT fell asleep on us. PT. Um, <laughs> Coffee fell. Does, does, does Carlos Condit get mentioned on this weekend's UFC broadcast? I don't know. If he does, it's going to be very brief. I don't right? know. I mean, what are you talking about? I don't know. There's no chance in hell he gets mentioned. Well, they not bring up a little, what, really? a lower third, maybe, and say, and of course, this week they won't make a yeah. big deal of it, though. You know what I mean? That's for you sure. You don't think there'll be like a three? I mean, there's a better like, chance of Benavidez package. getting mentioned because you know he's married to a UFC employee. But you know, let's be honest. Historically, as I've said before, say what you will about WWE and the way they dispose of their legends. At least they get a tweet. At least they get future endeavored. <laughs> at least they say, you know, good luck to you in your in your next step, in your next chapter of yeah. your journey. Um, we don't get a mention, and I say we like we. we Seems I, particularly cruel, doesn't it? It. I mean, like nothing. We, we often find out about these guys leaving or ending their careers or retiring because. Some way, somehow, some kid is monitoring the UFC rankings and notices that they've been removed from the, the roster pool. That's how we find out. And then it gets tweeted, and then everyone searches and asks their manager, and that's how we find out. I mean, to me, I would just love to see these men and women. Someone said to me yesterday, because I wrote this column about how you know they deserve to be celebrated. At UFC 266, uh, Benavidez and Condit and every other legend that like they should they should have a legend section and they should get tickets for life and they be they should be sitting there not the guy who's headlining the next pay per view they should be sitting there and shown on the big screen and given standing ovations for life and someone said to me yeah great but what does that do for your bank account they should be given a pension they should be given you know mm-hmm. uh, retirement uh, of course but like let's be honest like I, I don't <laughs> no, want just tickets well, just tickets works right like <laughs> well, that's, that's what I was no, kind of right, thinking about right. when you guys were talking there what other sport elite sport i know ufc mma isn't quite there in terms of nfl nba but i'm even thinking about premier league things like this when someone retires the the last thing you really think of is like oh what's he gonna do now but you have to think about it in mma because you know these guys didn't get paid enough during their careers i looked up today and i'm sorry to be a scumbag guys i looked up today (laughs) carlos condit's uh, disclosed career earnings from wc in 2008 all the way up until this year it's 2.9 million. 2.9 million. Now, it, worth noting, that's what's reported. Exactly. Oftentimes, okay, there's okay. a little more. But Do yeah, you think it's a, a drastically more than that? Like, uh, nah, maybe for some of those big GSP fights, but that's just a couple here and there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why we have to talk about what's going to happen next. Because, you know, when you look at boxing, um, similar fighters that maybe didn't make it to the undisputed um, championship level, like Ricky Hatton, these guys are making plus 30 million in their careers. There's no need to go, what's next? Relax, enjoy yourself, enjoy your life after your retirement. But again, sorry to be a scumbag, but when, when you read, it's actually depressing to see that a guy like Carlos Condit, one of the greatest welterweights who's ever lived, walks away from a career nearly spanning two decades and his, his total earnings are, are 3 million, less than 3 million disclosed. I think that's crazy. Yeah, and I'm sure some people will say like, oh, 3 million, he's a millionaire. No, this of is, course, here, that's over. I got this, the, I got this with, with the Cannoneer thing. Two events, and they're going, he earned 200,000 in the last year. 
oh, what are you talking about, Pizzi, you big crazy freak? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I just don't yeah, I love get how with family. fighters, I love what the MMA guys, it's like you almost try to, like, the people's inclination is to compare it up against their own salaries rather than to compare it versus other sports or boxing or stuff like of that. Course. They compare it to what they're making. I'm like, well, 200000 might sound a lot to you, you know what I mean? But that is not a lot for the profession they're in. Yeah, millions of people aren't uh, choosing to watch you do whatever it is you do on a Saturday night. Um, on pay-per-view competing right. against the best of the world, getting your head smashed in. Especially in his case, right? Like, he's, he the, headlined a lot. It's the equivalent of, like, a, you know, someone earning, um, you know, probably 60 grand over 40 years, you know, in, right. in, a, in a normal job, but they aren't getting their brains burst in for, for, the, for yeah. their living. You know what I mean? So it so just... Earlier this week, it was reported by Mike Coppinger of ESPN um, that Terrence Crawford is going to be fighting Sean Porter. Two, you know, great boxers. Uh, I wouldn't say they're massive draws at this juncture in their careers, but, you know, two of the, the very best. Terrence Crawford is guaranteed upwards for this fight of $6 million. <laughs> wow. Sean Porter will earn at least $4 million. Now, that's before pay-per-view. I, I feel confident saying right now Carlos Condit, who body of work, did more than those guys right now. Of course, by the end of their careers, it could be different. Never made anywhere near four million, oh, let yeah. alone six million. Right? <laughs> in his and whole that career, just goes nowhere near it. Yeah, no. no in, well, combined, but yes, in, in for one fight, of course. Even the fights that you know they didn't disclose the money. And so I don't want this to be you know us. I know the fans get tired of it sometimes, but it's <laughs> moments like these where it smacks you in the face. Mm. It's like Carlos freaking Condit. A fight like look up Carlos Condit on Getty. Yeah. Every second picture is him you know with a crimson mask bloodied yeah. you know gave it his all gave it everything and then That's the you know thing. went through wars and losing streaks and came back as pt said and won those last two in a row before losing to max griffin on the final fight of his contract like this guy you remember when he busted his knee against tyron woodley and had to come back you know he's had some incredible fights the diaz fight the dan hardy i was at that fight in london dan hardy that fight was ufc 120 october i believe what was it of 2000 and uh 11 2010 and that place that was supposed to be the hardy bisping coronation it was yeah. bisping versus akiyama and it was hardy versus condit and hardy was supposed to be the welterweight champion and freaking uh carlos condit went in there in less than a round and knocked him out with a vicious punch where they both got punched great moment right. great fight and that place was so quiet as the great chelsea once said you could hear a rat pissing on cotton in that o2 arena because it was so, <laughs> they were stunned as i was as well this guy's a legend, man. And so I just hope wherever he is, you know, maybe maybe he's been investing his money. Maybe I just hope that he is happy, content. And I and I hope that, you know, one day we can celebrate these guys in an in independent MMA Hall of Fame like they do in boxing, like they do in baseball, like they do in, in, in basketball. Because, you know, you see this past weekend, it's like Derek Jeter's getting celebrated, uh, Larry Walker, Chris Webber, like these guys Legends. deserve their moments. You know what I mean? They deserve their moments. And I just get, I get so sad when it's like, really, this is how the great Carlos Condit's yeah. career ends with a tweet and that's it. It's over. Bums me out. <laughs> I think you nailed it, though, man. You said he gave it his all, and I think that that's what everybody sees, right? Like, this is a guy who gave it his all. I think he would happily identify himself as a fighter. Not every fighter can do that. Like, he was a fighter through and through, and I think that that's what his appeal was for the fan base, you know, the deep reverence we're talking about, um, which also, though, because he's used to competition and that's what he does it for, you know, it, it makes it that much fun that much harder for guys like him to to segue out of it, right? Because I think he really identifies in those ways with his fans. So, yes, I agree, man. 
when you hear comparative numbers from boxing and things like that, or comparative resumes in uh, other sports and respect and uh, and the, the the way they're treated on the way out, it bums you out, man. It really does. This isn't, by the way, we're we're talking about uh, we're talking about Condit right now, but this has been ongoing for a long right. time because we've seen a lot of guys retire over time, like as quietly as possible. Like you know, the, there might be an article or something kind of uh, like pointing out the, how great they were, but there it's. It's gone, you know. Within the next couple of days, they're just gone. They're in the rearview mirror. You mentioned Quentin Jackson, right? Quentin was even saying, like, this is a guy who is all over the the place. When he says he feels forgotten, you know, you're just Can like, you That's, that? that that should like, never be the bummer. case. Like you would never yeah. see in ba- baseball, like World Series, they trot out the guys before Game One. Basketball All Star Game, they trot out the guys. And yes, I know there's an irony here. There's the UFC Hall of Fame ceremony next week. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like what what is the UFC Hall of Fame? You know what the UFC Hall of Fame is? It's a freaking hallway at the apex. It's on the staircase. <laughs> there's a couple of plaques, and that's it. Now I think yeah. they're missing out. They should build something with all the memorabilia yeah, and all that. I agree. But at the end of the day, it's not about that. It's just about these guys being remembered, their legacies being remembered, and especially with all the new fans and all the fights and all the fighters and all that. The problem is when you have one company that is essentially, you know, the the keeper of all history of this sport, they have grudges with Frank Shamrock, with Randy Couture, with Rampage. Mm-hmm. These guys get forgotten about. Now, Condit isn't that guy. He's not a ruffle the feathers type of guy, but for the most part, they all just get forgotten about. And, uh, you know, Chuck, all these guys. Like, there's very few that get remembered. And, it, you know, it's Jens Pulver. Jens Pulver. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. could go on and on. And so I get nostalgic. I get a little bit sad. I get a little bit worried about these things. But, man, make no mistake about it. If you're a new fan, go watch 195. Go watch the Rory McDonald yeah. fight where he pulls it out at the very end in Vancouver. I feel so blessed at this point to have watched yeah, he was set up to lose that one too because yes. that was in Vancouver yeah. yes he was set up for Crazy. that man and I and I posted this yesterday the 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 final sequence of that Condit Diaz primetime with both of them it was just amazing UFC 143 part of the interim title fight I mean it gives me chills every time I watch it it just gives me chills and what a crazy sport PT that the week before Nick Diaz returns after a six-year hiatus the guy who will always be linked to for that fight you know, he comes back and Condit re- retires. I mean, you can't script this stuff. It's very, it's very strange. It's a weird sport. And it's Lawler as well. Who Condit has a, a great oh, legacy that's right. with you. Yes, you know what I mean? Right. It just, it just yeah. feels like um, today I was going back and watching all the fights and it feels like it set the table perfectly for next weekend's fight in a way. But um, we've talked about numbers and which these guys earned and stuff. But um, I think from a fighter's point of view, I think, you know, they go away holding their heads up high. I always remember my last interview with the Irish legend Neil Siri before his retirement and he said the one thing I said what are you most proud of about your career and he goes it never got to the point where people are watching me and pitying me it never got yeah. to the point where people are going oh no why is he doing this why is he doing this and neither Condit or Benavidez despite how long their careers were and the battles they were in ever got to that stage you know even even yeah. when Condit was in the in the losses it wasn't like oh we can't watch this it was more like well, why, why isn't Condit not winning? You know, why isn't he winning? I think the rooting interest was ratcheted up, right? Like, I feel like the people who really liked Condit just wanted to see him yeah. win, knowing that he was in the twilight of his career. It was more like that yes. for me than it was like uh, you were watching through your fingers mm. or something like but that. But I think that's something to be proud of because this is a very unforgiving business, and we see it all too often where guys are keep getting in there and we're like, Jesus Christ, I can't, I can't actually get myself to watch this one, you know? So I think that that's a big credit to them. This episode is brought to you by Ugg. Y'all know Ugg is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think Ugg season is only during the colder months of the year. 
Au contraire, you're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from Ugg. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at Ugg.com. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Okay, so let's talk about Benavidez now, who also uh, called it a career um, earlier this week. One of the all-time best, um, as far as the flyweight division is concerned, as flies as far as the bantamweight division is concerned, unfortunately went zero and five in title fights in WEC and UFC. But there's no there's no mistaking the fact that um, he was a big part of that flyweight division. You see the way Demetrius Johnson talks about him. You see the way he respects him. Um, and so it's different than Condit, isn't it, uh, PC? Because he wasn't one of those fighters who was giving you the wars in terms of like the bloody fights and all that stuff, the fights of the year, but a guy who kept coming back, who slipped up, but then kept coming back as well and was, you know, unfortunately, it's like, it reminds me of my favorite athlete, Patrick Ewing. Unfortunately, uh, he competed in an era where Michael Jordan was competing as well, so he never got his <laughs> ring. Charles Barkley, the same. Carl Malone, and Alex same. English. Yeah. Alex English, yeah. well, a little bit earlier, but yeah, sure. Uh, and, and that's the case with Benavidez, right? He He's a bantamweight with Cruz. He's a flyweight with DJ, so he never gets that. What's what's his legacy? Is he the guy who was second place, or is there something greater to Benavidez's legacy, PT? Well, again, like I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. If these other once-in-a-lifetime athletes kind of weren't around. At the time he was around, he could have been a two-way champion. And Chuck, you wrote a great article about Joey as well, who everyone knows is one of the nicest guys in the industry. One of, one the, of the best. One of the best. People PC. love top, saying that. Top class. A, I think he'll be remembered more for being one of the nicest guys in the industry, yeah. um, fashion, more so, so than any of his Which uh, shows how much of a amazing. nice guy he was because he was such a brilliant fighter as well. Um, but I, I feel as though... Chuck actually really summed it up well in the article wrote, and everyone should check it out because the guy. Where should they check it out? Plug it. If you're going to plug it, plug it. But the floor is yours. What's the, the myth, website? The myth? The myth.com. The myth. That's M I T H. The myth. Beautiful. Com. Beautiful work, by the way, Chuck. And, and I think the one Thank thing you. about Benavidez is every time he lost a fight, like, and split decisions to Cruz, and then a split decision to Demetrius Johnson in their first fight. He, he went back and he went through all the contenders in the division until he got back to the title again. And look, he never got the title. But I think it's fitting. And what Chuck said in the article was, as soon as he couldn't go back and take out those top contenders, he decided to hang up his gloves. And I think that's a real nod to his, uh, his sporting mind and his ability to do that over such a long, long period of time. I, I think he's one of the best flyweights ever. I think he was a big part of making this a real thing. When people were saying, oh, nobody wants to watch these small guys, he was putting in great fights along with Demetrius and those guys, Ian McCall. So I think he's a, a huge part of why that division was formed and why it's still around. Um, so yeah, absolute absolute legend of the division. 
poetic too, right? That uh, here's 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 Benavidez on his big retirement week, his official retirement week. Yet he still sunk, comes in second oh, place no. narrowly oh, wow. to Come Carlos Condit. Wow, me. I'm just saying this is like one of those strange cosmic things that happens for this guy. I I'm fascinated by Benavidez. I always have been because he was never, even though he was 0 and 5 in title fights. His talk was it was so like he was never a gatekeeper. He never really became a gatekeeper because he was always within the shadow of the champion, right? Like he was always right there in two divisions, in fact, because once he lost the second fight to uh, to Dominic Cruz, I felt like at the time, I remember writing this column at least two or three different times back in the day. It felt like the flyweight division was kind of introduced because there was no place for Benavidez really to compete. And they knew he was a little undersized for bantamweight. So they, there was no place for him. I think it was kind of designed for him to go in there, and that's his division. He's going to run with it. But, of course, he runs into Demetrius Johnson. He loses to him twice. He stuck to the shadow of, like, whatever that greater, that one obstacle was. You know, but he, he was never the gatekeeper because he would beat up the dudes, whoever it was. It didn't matter if it was a prospect or whatever. He would beat those guys up, and it was always about him getting back to the title shot, rather than the other guy trying to hurdle over him and into that title shot. I always felt like the narrative was based around him. And in some ways, then, he becomes one of the greatest contenders in that way of all time. I don't mean it facetiously. I mean, like, he was the guy who was just a perennial contender. Like, he was right there. And uh, it's it's a bummer that he never uh, got over that hump. But uh, one of the most unique careers in the sense of I don't think you'll see that again. I don't think you'll see a guy hover that close just the way the model goes right now for a decade in two divisions where he's behind an eight ball and he does everything else except for get by that eight ball. It's just a crazy career, man. Yeah, he's he's on that short list of uh, greats, all-time greats who didn't touch gold in you know any Zufa promotion. Like Faber gets put in this category as well, but we forget you know he was the WC champion. That was, uh, you know, the only major featherweight division. So it's it's a tough spot to be in. I think he has nothing to be ashamed of. And as we know in MMA um, or in fighting, you know, retirements often don't last very long, right? Condit or Benavidez, PT, do they fight oh, again? Man. Do either of them fight again? When do they show up for, uh, you know, the next <laughs> BKFC fight card? Do you know what? I can, like, I, I think Joey B is done. I, I genuinely believe he is. But Condit is so gnarly, man. <laughs> Condit is a gnarly yeah, yeah. dude. Like it's not, yeah. it's not beyond him to show up at a BKFC and start bleeding people left, right, and center. <laughs> so I, I can't say definitely right, done for Condit, but I feel like Joey B will. Uh, we've seen him fight for the last time. Yeah, I tend to agree. If there's one guy who's going to show up, it's probably uh, Condit. Uh, just given, especially, especially in our day, and, well, especially given a that we just mentioned that he identifies himself as a fighter, he may not go so gently into that good right. night. But also, just these weird avenues to actually fight again, and some other guys, I could, I would definitely say that Condit would uh, would be the guy who could be lured back in. Both thirty seven, by the way, so not exactly you know the oldest cats out there, but uh, yeah, if I had to pick one, I, I think there's a chance they both you know just. I, yeah. I definitely think Benavidez is is done. Um, I don't think there's a huge demand for the smaller guys doing uh, BKFC. Chad Mendez is going over there, his longtime alpha male teammate. But uh, if I had to pick one, it would be Carlos Conde as well. All right, let's stick with the uh, the flyweight division, shall we? Uh, earlier this week, it was uh, announced that Brandon Moreno's first title defense will be against a very 
familiar face, uh, a man that Mr. Benavidez knows a lot about as well, Davison Figueroa, the former flyweight champion. Now, I wish, uh, you know, one of the great things about working at ESPN back in the day was they had this stats and info group, and they would find out all these weird factoids. <laughs> I don't know if there's ever been, and maybe you guys can correct me here if, if I'm wrong. I don't know if there's ever been... Uh, a trilogy that has played out in less than 365 days in UFC history, but we're getting a trilogy within 365 it, days between these two guys. They fought to a draw last December. Then they met again in June. Um, Moreno beat Figueredo in a fight where Figueredo came in at the very last second on weight, but looked very bad. Uh, he ends up losing uh, the following night. And instead of going with uh, Alexandre Pantoja or uh, Askar Askarov, <laughs> You know, the big yeah. name who, uh, you know, my friends at Dominance MMA said that I was so upset that I couldn't uh, couldn't interview because I was campaigning for Pantoja. They go with <laughs> Davison Figueredo, the trilogy. Yeah. What do you make of this, Chuck? What do you make of this decision? I think it's a natural trilogy, right? Here, Let me just say this, man. I feel like sometimes these things start off on some strange footing. And so, therefore... If you're watching it play out, and this one happened rapidly, like you mentioned, over the course of a year, like it's it's harder to kind of feel the excitement of it. But I mean, this is just a natural trilogy. When you have a guy, I think when Davison Figueredo came, you know, when he was coming up, there was a little bit, to me, he was like a little bit of a Yoel Romero and, a, you know, a Dolomite size. Like he was this weird guy who uh, was so, kind of flamboyant and crazy, you know. So he had something to him. But when he was blasting guys and then he wins the belt, it felt... Um, it felt like it was – it didn't feel like it was his era. Let's put it that way because the other guys like Cejudo and Demetrius Johnson, they had feels like this was their their division. It felt more like this guy is the new one. Let's see what this feels like. And before we really got too used to him, he gets beat. So I feel like, you know, to establish this, it kind of makes sense to do this. I don't think too many people picked Brandon Moreno to actually beat him. And uh, the fight, you know, just given the this situation, the setup – it's very compelling, but in this very narrow way. It's it's just a it's a strange matchup, but at the same time, I would rather see this trilogy play out than any other match that they could make right now for Moreno. Would you agree with that? Uh, I'll let PT weigh in before I weigh in. Okay. PT? I really like. I, I I enjoyed the first fight. I thought it was amazing. Um, I thought Moreno was unbelievable in the second fight, and for me, I kind of wanted to see Davison fight other people in the division because. He didn't seem himself at all in the second fight. And I think you're looking for a huge shift in dynamic for him to win this third fight. Uh, it was so even the first time. Moreno comes out and looks sensational. As you said, Figueredo struggles again with the scales. Not the first time he has. Like, I think he's actually a 135er, to be honest. He's very mm. tall, dude. Yeah. Um, I just feel like we're looking for a massive shift in dynamic. For those who are looking for Davis to come back in and look at the way he was, I, I, I think... Um, he would have been better served to go and, and fight some other dudes to, to prove he's right there because I, I don't like he has he has to go up to 135 he lost. I think he probably belongs there anyway. I'm excited to see it. I'm loving Moreno. Moreno's story now is yeah. fantastic. The guy has turned into the sweetheart of the fan base. Just by being himself. He's just unique. He's a bit of a he's a bit of a geek, which I love. But um yeah, yeah I I think pure uh, just the contest alone, I think it's gonna be fantastic. But 
I really, really favor Marino. He can be the guy to send uh, Figueredo up to bantamweight. That's for sure. If he puts the, if he does it again, it'd be one of those types of stories, right? Where you're saying, "All right, now it's time for you to move out." I just feel like <laughs> we're going to have the same saga again with the scales ahead of this one. I think it's, oh. it's yeah, always well. going to be Figueredo, and and you feel bad when yeah. you see a guy in that kind of shape getting on the scales, looking like a white walker. It's it's terrifying. It's unfortunate because I think he's one of those guys who's probably just a tad too small for 135. A but Obviously, yeah, um, a tad too big for 125. I like the Pantoja fight only because there's yeah. a great story to be told there. Uh, Moreno, the champion, 0-2 against him and also fought to a draw against Askarov. But there's no denying Figueredo's the bigger name. He's the bigger draw. You could sell the the first two fights. They were, you know, very entertaining, especially the the fight in December of last year. Would have been the fight of the year, in my opinion, if not for Zhang Weili and Yuani and Jacek. So I don't necessarily hate it. I, I hate the idea of just, like, you know, going through the trilogy that quickly. Um, although this is one of those weird ones where you could almost justify a fourth fight if Figueredo wins because the draw was the first and then Moreno and the Figueredo. <laughs> so you could almost do oh, that God. as the tiebreaker. Um, That's, we don't am I going that. crazy yeah. here, Ariel? Why do you want to put Pantoja in the title fight ahead of Askarov, who's beaten Pantoja, who's drawn with the champion? I'm just wondering. Okay, because Askarov... He was scheduled um, to meet Alex Perez, but that fell through. And also missed weight in his last fight. Oh, did he? So, yeah, he missed weight against Joseph Benavidez, 127 pounds. That's right. Uh, he weighed in 127. I feel... I mean, you talk about you know risking something when you put a guy into a title fight who has a, a you know an issue with making weight... How can you reward a guy who misses weight, wins that fight? He beat Benavidez. Had he not missed weight, obviously he'd be the guy, 14-0-1. But don't you think it's a weird look to give a guy a title shot after he misses weight? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess he's, I, he's I, I, I wasn't aware looks. of that. Did, did, did Figueredo not get a title shot in a similar situation, or am I wrong on that? No, Figueredo missed weight in the title shot. Oh, yes, that's right. He missed weight against Benavidez, but it was a title shot, and then he wasn't eligible to win it, and that caused the issues of um you know the the title was vacant it was vacant going in and then it was vacant coming out because he beat benavidez but that was the first time he missed weight so what you're saying though is honestly like it's all this red tape both you guys are saying all the red tape all the complication that comes with the davison figueredo fight is why you may not want to see that well no i actually i actually don't mind this i actually don't mind this okay I, i think that either you know pantoja and askarov have fought before as pt mentioned Askarov beat him. Patoja's coming off a great win over Brandon Royval, performance of the night winner, submission win just a couple weeks ago in August. But the problem, in my opinion, is Askarov missed weight. So I, I almost feel like, in his last fight, so I almost feel like there's a there's like a little love triangle thing going on here, or a quadrangle <laughs> thing going on here because they've all kind of yeah. fought each other. Kinky. You might, you might want to run it back with Askarov and Patoja to decide who's the number one contender there. And I just, look, Pantoja walks into your house in Connecticut. Chuck, there's a very good chance yeah. you don't know who he is. Askarov oh. walks into your house yeah. in Dublin. PT, there's a very good chance you're asking him, like, <laughs> why are you here? Who are you? Let's just be honest. Let's call it like it is. The biggest name of those guys is Figueredo. You could sell it very easily. I know everyone was up in arms, but let's be honest. It's hard to deny that he's not the biggest name, and it's hard to deny that he doesn't deserve true. it as well. I, I don't hate it. I don't and, hate it. And that's he's, he's kind of, like, as I've been mentioned about the weight cuts, he's kind of on bar time here in the division as well. It's like, can you actually wait? For Figueredo That's to be put in point. this spot again. You know, like, I mean, I I just feel like every time we're getting on fight week, that's the conversation, right? That is the com- the question that's yeah. shoved in his face at every <laughs> media kind of junket. How's the weight going? How's the weight going? And then he tells you it's fine, and he still gets up there looking completely amazing. He's going to be grumpy as hell this time through, <laughs> guaranteed. 
So that fight is going to be on December 11th. Um, already we had a title fight for that card. It was uh, the Juliana Pena Amanda Nunes fight. I don't know what kind of a chance Pena has in that fight, but golly, I love her promos. Her promo work recently <laughs> has been tremendous. And uh, they are working as we speak on adding Poirier Oliveira to that card, but that fight Ooh. is not a done deal. They've been working on it um, all this week. So let's see what happens. Uh, we could be ending the uh, the year with three title fights. It would be uh, Moreno, Figueredo, three, great. Nunez, Pena, and then the, I think uh, I think Pena's been doing great stuff fight. on your show, Ariel, right? When she comes well, on and, and yeah. she interviews. Nice. But I didn't like when they kind of placed her. It felt like they placed her at that media day to ask Dana the question. Did you see that? She claims, yes, I asked her about that. She claims that it was all her idea. She was there and just saw the open mic and went up there and, and asked. Right. I didn't... I, you felt, more, you felt more like spots on your shows more spots yeah. on your shows so well you know people people have said in the past that if you want to become a star you come on my show <laughs> um another fight i wanted to talk about that isn't done but i do want to talk about this one because it gets me all hot inside so there's a oh, few things go. that we could talk about with regards to jorge masvidal earlier this week uh jake paul said he wants to fight jorge masvidal next and then um, Dana White comes back and is like, hey, pick on someone your own size. Oh, by the way, he's under contract. Why don't you fight Anderson Silva next? Which is very, uh, to me, ironic, considering before the Tyron Woodley fight, Dana White was making fun of Jake Paul for fighting old guys. He said 50 mm-hmm. years old. Woodley's 39. And here's Anderson Silva, who's 46. I believe that's seven years older than Tyron Woodley. And yet he's saying, go fight Anderson Silva. All right, fine. So that's going to be a tough one to make. Jake Paul comes back with, hey, let me fight masvidal and then let nunez fight amanda serrano my new friend and if we lose i'll leave you alone nice little counter dana white counters again and says no go fight anderson silva okay uh <laughs> ufc wants masvidal to fight leon edwards and then leon edwards says hell no i'm waiting for the winner of the title shot on november 6th that's kamar usman and colby covington and then there's gilbert burns who's like hey leon you know whatever he's saying he he he, he tweets ad nauseum had to mute him um you know he's saying he's saying uh you know why don't you come fight me now i have a lot of feelings on this i don't want to dominate i don't want to uh-huh. go first but what do you do with jorge masvidal if you're in charge chuck because there's a lot of things going on here it's a bit of a mess of a situation when you have jake paul you have a, a leon edwards you have Gilbert. what do you do with this guy game bread the problem man is that at the top of that division right now i feel like we're dealing in the soap opera just about every time, and it, and it's 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 like they take on different forms. One guy suddenly is around to this idea. That guy's now moved on, you know. And Masvidal is kind of the you know, the in the middle of a lot of this crossfire. And I think it's obviously because he's got this almost, you know, he's a, he's a money draw who has like this uh, this fictional narrative around him with this BMF thing and everything else. Like he's got something more to go for. And I feel like, so he's kind of in the catbird seat a little bit, even though he's lost these fights, but at the same time, I don't know, man, like he's a celebrity now. And I feel like when you realize you're a celebrity and you're still in the rankings at this spot, it's always going to be complicated. It's like the, it's like the Diaz at junctures of his career. It's just, you're dealing with his druthers. You're dealing with that sort of thing. I don't think he's the most complicated issue in this, but it's really, really like telling of the division and the mess that it's in that Leon Leon is still trying to get that title shot, and now he's being presented essentially what might be... It's very similar to the McGregor fight with uh, Poirier, right? Like you're being presented a fight that could be big business for you, 
and you're saying no, and I'm going to stick to this, and then you get a guy accused. I don't know. I would just. I guess I would like to see Masvidal and uh, and Leon fight. Um, to me, at, at least, you know, that's okay. Like I, I would be okay with that type of fight. It makes sense for for Masvidal, but uh, I don't know, man, because you're you're just dealing now in a situation where Masvidal is. He's <laughs> just this complicated figure in that mix. So, what do you think? I don't know where Leon is getting the confidence from that he can sit out and just get a title shot. True. I mean, that's another point. That's another point. What do you mean lad. you don't know where? The guy's won freaking no, 10 no, fights no, in no, a row. Don't you try to start this off. PT doesn't love. I've been on this before no, but you were. What do you mean the confidence from? <laughs> what, no, hey, the hey, title fight me, is in less finish, than two months. Let me finish. This guy has been overlooked for so long. For yes. so long, when he already deserved to be in the title situation. So why on sure. earth wouldn't they do it again, Ariel? That's what I'm saying. They, they do it all the time to the guy. So where, where is he getting the confidence from that this time it's going to be fine? That's, that's what I, I want to know. I, I don't know. Maybe because the guy who's actually fighting for the belt sat out, won one fight, and is fighting for the belt at Madison Square Garden, Colby Covington. Like It has proven to be the right method. If you just sit out long enough, they tend to reward you. Um, and yeah, but Covington, Covington though, is is the guy that the, the UFC wants in the position. You know, I don't feel like the guy Leon who posted that. a picture of Dana White's uh, license plate. The guy who went up to him at a casino. <laughs> the guy who's like been very. Still, I mean, I still love him. It, that's a that's a bizarre one. And look, it's, Kobe's incredible, but. I mean, to get a title shot over Leon Edwards when you've already lost to the guy and on a one-fight winning streak, and then you sit out. You last the fight was September, I think, nineteenth of twenty twenty. We're going to be approaching thirteen months by the time he fights again, and it's for the belt. Yeah, if I'm Leon Edwards, I'm saying, look, either give me Jorge Masvidal at MSG so the stars align for me, so that yeah. I can fight the winner. Don't give me Jorge Masvidal in January, two months after the title shot, right. and then you'll no, tell me, true. oh, uh, we got someone else, you know, like on. on on the back burner because no give it to me on november 6th or don't give it to me at all then that's a great point that to me is the part that's crazy and you want to know exhibit 5641 while there'll never be a fighters union it's gilbert burns because here's gilbert burns who i don't believe even deserved that title shot to begin with went on like a four fight winning streak goes back door is terrorizing everyone to get the fights against tyron woodley when that was Leon's fight, and then gets the title shot because, you know, his manager's in good standing with the UFC, and fine, God bless him, he gets his title shot, he gets his opportunity, and wants nothing to do with Leon Edwards. When I suggested it should have been Gilbert Burns versus Leon Edwards, the number one, how dare I suggest that two guys who are on a roll fight for a chance to be the number one Some contender to then fight for the belt. And here's Gilbert Burns now with Leon knocking on the door, trying to mess up his spot so that he could get in the good graces of the boss, taking selfies and all this stuff. How dare you, man? Leon Edwards has put in the time. Go blow up someone else. Go bother someone else. Yeah. I mean, this guy is trying to wedge his way in there. I mean, I pulled up yeah. some of the tweets, and 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 I kind of regret it that I had to yes. you know subject myself to it. But it's like you are scared. You called out Masvidal, and you don't want to fight. You call me out when I have a title shot. Now is ducking. You are fake. This is the best one. This makes zero sense to me. First, the guy hit you with a three-piece of soda on your country and nothing happened. You know why nothing happened? Because they didn't give Leon the fight. They went with Askren instead. You don't think Leon wanted the fight back then? You being asking for this fight for years, last month you just did, and now you turn down the fight. I don't remember him asking for this fight. Now, maybe if he did ask for the Masvidal fight last month, it's the fight at the same time as Covington and Usman. Not the fight two months later. Is it just me or does this guy not like the fight? It's crazy. What you are you talking about? 
baby. What is he talking no, about right, this, dude? Right. It drives me nuts to see these tweets. At some point, these fighters have to realize that they're <laughs> if, if they're not effing you now, they're going to eff you in six months. You siding with them to put a guy down who has never even tasted a title shot is not a good look, Bubba. It is not a good look. And I don't see why more people don't get it. I really don't. No, I, it drives I, me nuts. I get what you're saying about Gilbert, but like... What you said there about the November fight makes a lot of sense with Leon. Like, it, do you think that's his issue with taking the Masvidal fight? If it was at an earlier date, he'd I be think interested. he would take it. I think he would take it if it's November because yes, it does I make think. sense, right? Like, I mean, I know Leon's yeah. coming off the fight with with Diaz, which put a bigger spotlight on him than ever. But it's not like he wouldn't gain from a fight against Masvidal, a fight that I think he can win. I, I would favor I would yeah. favor Leon in that fight. Like, if he goes in and beats Masvidal, another icon, it's going to put him onto a different platform again. And then I feel like he's in the undeniable situation. Like, even during your Gilbert Burns rant, you mentioned two times where the UFC had an obvious fight for Leon Edwards, and they just went the other way. That's my only fear here. I do think you're right, Ariel, that he's got to be in lockstep with the timing here. Because if he's not in lockstep with that, he would be the first. And I I mean, at this point, I feel like he's undeniable. But at the same time, to prevent... Any, any uh, being brushed aside again. I mean, you can't, uh, you can't be off lockstep with when that title fight is. So it's either you wait it out, like you mentioned, that should exactly be the stipulation. Either you wait it out or you put it as close to that title fight as possible. And here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. I'm not sitting here. Let's be very clear. I'm not sitting here saying wait, even though he should wait. He's won 10 freaking fights in a row. Yeah. He hasn't lost since he fought Kamaru Usman back in 2015. I'm not even saying, wait. I'm saying give him a fight on November 6th on the same card as the title fight so that his star can be aligned with right. the champion and so he can fight for the belt in February. You know what's really going on here, guys? All right. Nathan Diaz keeps right. calling out Vicente Luque. They don't want to make that fight for some strange reason to me. Hmm. Let me look at the rankings. Vicente Luque, number four. Leon Edwards, number three. There's Gilbert Burns, number two. Why don't they do Gilbert Burns versus is Vicente Luque then why aren't they doing that fight is it because they're managed by the same guy do they not want to kill each other off I mean there's a fight there that makes why is it more people talking about Burns and Luque fighting each other explain to me that why aren't more people talking about Burns and Luque fighting each other leave Leon Edwards alone if anyone is able to call his shot at this point and he's not going to say it himself he's not going to puff his chest out I mean it is a travesty what they are doing to this guy if you are trying to tell your fighters on your roster that unbeaten in 10 fights isn't good enough to sniff a title shot yet other people are getting title shots by cutting the queue because of how much they like no at some point this has to be treated like some kind of a sport can we treat this like some kind of meritocracy i know it's not always a meritocracy but at some point can we reward the guys who have put in the time oh and then i see someone in the the comments here leon hasn't fought top five guys to get the title shot not his fault he was booked against them they pull out covid this that he shows up when he's able to show up but here's the best part and almost got knocked out by nate I see why they gave the fight to Colby. So he dominates Nate for 24 and a half minutes, but gets rocked in the last 30 seconds. And that's the reason why? I mean, is his middle name Brendan Lochnane? What is going on here? But that, that's all oh, I was boy. saying when I was talking about um, Leon. Like, it's a, it's a risk to wait in this industry because there is no meritocracy. That's what I'm trying to say. And I will say... Like, well, the meritocracy exists for certain fighters. Yeah, of course. They've got to do everything. But there's other guys who transcend the meritocracy. But what happens, what happens if Colby beats Usman this time? part three yeah oh yeah he's effed he's effed if colby yeah. wins that's all i'm saying man he's so then what do you do what do you do okay so, let, so what are, what are you doing right now you're hunter campbell you're calling up tim simpson of paradigm and you say this is my plan for leon you're doing leon versus gilbert 
No, if if we're saying if um, he doesn't fight and they fight and Colby no, wins. No, I'm saying, what do you do with Leon Edwards right now? <laughs> I tried to get the the Masvidal fight at an earlier date, and if it like, I mean, I, I understand why he's sat, he's sitting out if it, if he doesn't get it. But here's the thing: isn't it strange in this sport that any other sport, it's like, of course you want to be the champion, and Leon says like, basically, I'm sitting out so I can fight for the belt. And everyone's like, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing this? Like, it's such a fucking it's like weird. He's, he's sport, such an man. outlier, even though he's doing it by the book. Yeah, it's <laughs> the problem weird. is he puts out that tweet, and then it leads to everyone saying, you don't yeah. want to fight, you don't want to fight. When they don't look at the full context, the picture, the timing, right. and all that stuff, it, it the tweet is ill advised. And it, and and look, it, like I'm not here to pray, like he makes missteps like he has opportunities he doesn't take advantage he doesn't sell himself he doesn't like there that's a part of it give colby a lot of credit he sells himself he puts in the work he puts him i'm not here you know charter member of the leon edwards fan club but it is frustrating to see a guy get screwed left right and center and then all of a sudden you got this white knight come in and try to mess up his spot <laughs> because in the same look the same thing happened last so year true, gilbert was campaigning for the title shot i was like hey maybe he should fight leon edwards uh one guy's on an eight fight winning streak the other guy's on a three fight four fight winning streak like let's figure this out let's you know make the math it should have been jorge versus the fight the way it should have all planned out was jorge versus usman on july 11th and gilbert versus leon edwards in the number one contender fight unfortunately they couldn't come to terms with jorge masvidal and so they went to the guy the white knight they went to gilbert burns and they gave him the title <laughs> shot unfortunately for him he got COVID. by the way i reached out to him when he got COVID, so i'm not as big of a scumbag as he wants to pretend that i am and then he, and then they still gave him the title shot after the masvidal fight which he took on a week's notice and then Leon got screwed again. But that's the way this should have all rolled out. It should have been Usman Masvidal for the belt and Edwards Burns for the number one contender fight. And then nothing. And then if Burns would have won, God bless you, Leon. You missed your shot. But they screwed it all up because they couldn't come to terms with Masvidal. And now we're left with this mess. What's Masvidal thinking, though? It's, that's what I want to know. They're, they're meeting him this week, right? Mas, they, like met this. With, they met with this week. Apparently, the talks were good. And uh, I think that's the fight that they want to make. And now Masvidal has less leverage. Let's be honest. He just got knocked out. And, you know, I said this to Masvidal's team and they got mad at me. That fight, they should have made Edwards versus... Now, it all worked out. Hindsight 2020, it all worked out. But, you know, when they made the Askren fight, it really should have been Edwards. It should have been Masvidal-Edwards. You, you punch a guy backstage, you, you should fight it out in the ring. It's the same thing about... I said the same about Connor and Habib at Barclays. Like, you had to make the fight after Barclays. Like, you could not run away from it. You, you attack a guy, you try to attack... You got to make the fight in the actual sanctioned, you know, environment. It, re it worked out for Masvidal fighting Askren, no doubt about it. His life changed. But if we're being honest, they should have made Masvidal Edwards after he punched him backstage, right? I mean, they ha you have to make that fight afterwards. It's crazy that they didn't, yeah. but they went with the bigger draw. They went with Askren. It's, it's, it's especially crazy, like, you know, when you look at that footage and it, there's something that basically is created you know what i mean it's like you've you've now rolled out a red carpet to a match it's crazy that we're what two years two years removed now and still haven't seen that fight yeah and i get why the fans get tired of it but like geez louise sorry pt no it just I, like for leon like that was such an outrageous situation to be in as well like every single tweet any type of social media post just three pieces yeah. of soda chicken emojis with a drink and everything beside it and i was there in london when that happened and it's like you know, it happened. It was over so quickly. We were in the media room waiting for Masvidal and Leon to come through to do the post-fight interviews. Um, sorry, Mas Masvidal obviously fought Till and Leon fought Gunnar Nelson. That happens backstage and they called off the whole press conference. 
So we're all just sitting there going, like, what oh, the hell is happening? And then we see the video, and it's all <laughs> over within a matter of seconds. You know, um, what a, and I've never what about seen this Leon, counter. Go ahead, sorry. Like, I was trying to get to Leon, and I've had a great um, open door for Leon every time I wanted to interview him in the past. But they were saying, like, he is so pissed off. He is so livid now, he can't even sit down. Like, he can't even sit down to do the interview. So... I was obviously campaigning for people saying I was insane. Why the hell would Jorge Masvidal fight Leon Edwards? Is there some part of Leon Edwards here that's getting him back for that? That's just like, you know what? You said I wasn't shit back then. Or is it simply a date issue? Listen, PT, you know about the Leon Edwards story, right? I mean, this guy comes from, you know, a tough upbringing. The end's fine. Leon Edwards. No, but like he's he's, he's a soft-spoken guy, but he and his brother have been through a lot. Like... I, I believe, correct me if, I, if you feel otherwise, where they come from, you get punched and cut backstage, jumped, as they would say, like you want to, you know, you want to pay them back. There it's, needs to be repercussions. And like, oh, they, he's are, not, they are, it's, they are, they are not, they do not mess around the Edwards brothers. Yes. Like, they do not yes. mess around. <laughs> they don't get the same type of love as the Diaz brothers, but it, like Birmingham's is not exactly, you know, Wimbledon or whatever it is. I don't know, t- tell me some posh part of England. Like, like these guys... I do believe they want to pay Masvidal back, and I think that would be an incredible story to tell. That would be an incredible fight to sell and a promotion. So I don't know. I, I do want to ask you guys very quickly before we move on um, about this Jake Paul thing, because I did think it was kind of brilliant to come back <laughs> with the, the counter offer with Serrano and Nunes. Do you foresee any chance of this happening, Chuck, or do you think he goes no. after it? No. What about the Anderson Silva thing? Uh, Anderson Silva, yes, I could see that happening, but... Um... But not Masvidal. As much as you kind of, you know, as much as that might be alluring, and, and, it, and it is to an extent, but the UFC would have to be behind it, and they're simply not going to get behind that. You know what I mean? It'd yeah. be, it would have to be like the McGregor type of thing again where Dane is actually benefiting. He's just not going to happen. Um, we talked about the Paul thing before. I feel like there are good options there. I, I think it's fun, though. Like, let's put it this way, that he plants so many seeds. Like yeah. he's he's doing the thing that I just wish more fighters understood and and knew how to like you know truly do this. But he's just planting seeds. He's create little wars with all these people. Let people keep talking about you. Let the rivals build up and uh, and they're all big paydays down the line if you can get them. You know. So I who knows when that Masvidal thing could happen or if it ever will. But it's not a bad it's not bad to just keep perpetuating these things. Yeah, he has Dana wrapped. Like he is wrapped he up. It's hilarious. Rent like, free. Yeah. You are, Rent free. You yes. are playing yeah. into this yeah. man's game. Like he is, he's yeah. setting you up every time and you fall into the trap. Like you can mention always oh, not selling pay-per-views, whatever you want to say. But every single time you are just beating the Jake Paul drum and it's hilarious to watch it play out. You know what I mean? Like how many people have been able to do this to Dana White? Very over few, the if any, right? Very few. If it's, any, right. It's really unbelievable. And he's kind of like, I don't know how MMA fans feel about him, but they know they have to watch him now. I feel like it's so ingrained in MMA at the moment, this problem or this fascination with Jake Paul. And uh, Dana White is just playing into his hands every single time. And look, I was shocked when he went and fought Tyron. So, I mean, like, I'll be at the same level shocked if he went and fought Anderson now. Like, I I feel like Anderson wins that fight all day long. But that's the impressive thing about Jake. I didn't expect him to fight Woodley, and he did. He's doing an escalation, and I think that that's also smart. The, the the guys like Conor McGregor and even Ronda Rousey, to an extent, there was there was something like the size of the, and the magnitude of the event and the challenge kept going up, you know. And I feel like that that's uh, that's not a smart. I mean, it's not a, it's not a bad play as long as you really feel like you're going to be him. Because I thought he would never take the Woodley fight. Mm, same. 
uh, because it was too much, and he did. So credit to him, and I feel like that that actually kind of goes into his merit. So if he does take something like Anderson Silva, I mean, you, I, I would have I would have some big respect for him at that point. I'm bigger than I do now. I already have some respect for him, but I'm like I, I would I would have real respect for him at that but point. You I know? don't think it falls off either if if it's someone that you know that isn't as big as Anderson. Like I, I feel like he's, yeah, he's true. created this thing that's yeah that's a that's a big jump yeah yeah that's a very big jump. Yeah, I agree. I just love. Like when I have him on my show on Monday, people are like, uh, he's not an MMA fighter. Meanwhile, like every feud he's involved in, like Tommy Fury has been put to the back of the bus. Like it's all MMA with him, right? <laughs> it's Masvidal, it's Nunez, it's Dana White, it's Anderson Silva. Like he might as well be a UFC fighter at this point with all the, the yeah. wars that he's starting with MMA guys. So, What other um, appealing options are there, Ariel, do you feel for um, Jake Paul outside of Anderson, Masvidal? Is there anything else that could... I think it's Tommy Fury. I really do. But is there an MMA name like to play into that narrative mm. that he's cultivated? Is there anything else there? Not really. That he, you know, he's been going after those guys. You know, there was um, a what happened l- to the Woodley rematch. You don't want that now. Didn't get the tattoo, lost. mate. Yeah, I think it's lost <laughs> all momentum. You know, there, I had heard early on that there was some talk of maybe putting MVP on that card. You know, Bellator fighter Showtime. Um, Wow. Not against him, but, you know, because he's had some history with boxing. But yeah. there's no heat there. Like, he is thriving right now, and he knows this. He's very smart. His team knows this. you got to thrive off the rivalries. Woodley, there was the thing there in the locker room and Askren and, and the back and forth right after. Sure. You know, the guys who are chirping are the ones who are going to get the love. And I don't see any available MMA fighters. You know, if I'm a Bellator guy, and I hate to say it, like, Dylan, unfortunately, I think totally missed the boat. But if I'm a higher level Bellator guy and there aren't a ton with a major following, I'd be chirping up about this because it's the easiest fight to make for Showtime, right? Like they own As Bellator. Dylan, poor old Dylan has missed just Dylan's about every opportunity. Look, I'm not trying to hate on he's him. Missed though. them all. Yeah, but he's missed them all. He's a, he, after that after that brawl, like he could have done so many things. I just feel like he should. I told him he should have been in Cleveland. Like oh, he yeah. should have been sitting in the yeah. front row. But he's actually like, I mean, man. his diss to Jake is like, he's not a real fighter. I know Jake is a more accomplished fighter than Dylan Dennis. He's had more fights than him. <laughs> That's so true. It's, he's mental. had, even if you want to get rid of like the Ann, Eson, Gibb and the, the, the Nate Robinson fight, like they're tied in terms oh, of yeah. fights and he's fought Woodley and Askren. I don't even know who Dylan Dennis fought. Like, do no, you know I their names name, off the top of your head? Couldn't, couldn't name them for love, not money. Um, and, no. and just finally, sorry, Ariel, I'm picking your brain on this Jake Paul situation. Uh-huh. It's only underlining how much we're all infatuated with the man. What is the Diaz talk about? Because everyone, I know Diaz is still in contract. Diaz is coming to the end of his contract. And, and my feeling is he is very clear he wants Luque. Luque seems to want him. And for some reason, they're not making that fight. I can't understand why. I, I keep hearing everyone talking about the trilogy with Connor. I mean, Connor is. It's because of Gilbert Burns. He's there. out a year. <laughs> I feel like they're trying. I feel. This is what's going to happen. I feel like they're trying to. They know what's, they know what's out there for Nate. He's at the very end of his deal. They want to keep him on the sidelines so he doesn't go out and get that fight. Watch watch a, a Hamzat Shemaev win in October and be like, hey, Nate, would you like to fight Hamzat on the on the last fight of your deal? And we'll give you a nice little parting <laughs> gift on the way out. No, come on. Give Nate. <laughs> By the way, I just looked up I just looked up the uh, the last opponents for Dylan Dennison. It looks like Potato Leak and Minestrone. <laughs> These were the cans. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Thank you. Um, so we'll see. But yes. The stars could align here for Jake Paul, where he fights Tommy Fury. I think Masvidal has like three or four fights left, so it's going to be a while. Um, but he fights Tommy Fury. Let's say he fights him end of the year, right? Mm-hmm. And then next spring-ish summer, if Nate could fight. And then imagine the Paul oh, brothers man. versus the Diaz brothers. Oh. Be nuts. Oh, my God. That might be... that. Uh... 
It would, the way that would our be trends are scene. going, would that that would that would be the scene, man? <laughs> oh I mean, that might God, be that one of the biggest uh, events of the year. Yeah, it would be That'd fun. Be crazy. Um, a couple of other quick things before we say goodbye. I just there's nothing to really talk about here, but next weekend we are going to be uh, doing our big time pay per view coverage for 266. That's the card, uh, of course, headlined by Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega 2.0. And also Valentina Shevchenko versus Lauren Murphy. The people's main event, of course, is the return of Nick Diaz against Robbie Lawler, the rematch. And just, I mean, forget the, who cares. Like just seeing Nick Diaz back in 2021 yeah. is just a, a scene in its own right. So we'll do a live. I can't believe that's coming up next I can't week. Believe it. Jesus. it almost feels too good to be true at this point. Like, yeah. I almost feel like it's not a thing, but it is a thing. Um, we'll do the weigh-in show live at 12 p.m. Eastern. And then immediately following the main event, we'll be live here on the Spotify Green Room app. Um, to uh, recap it all, sort of like what we did for the Conor McGregor fight. The the moment the main event is over, we'll be live here, so I can't wait for that. It's a really fun card on paper. Um, I really hope Dan Hooker gets his visa sorted. It's, it's It breaks your heart yeah. to see him like openly begging yeah. to get his visa so that he could fly over. What a mess for those guys in New Zealand um, and Australia to get back home and they have these vouchers. It's a whole big, crazy uh, situation. So uh, we wish the best for Dan Hooker and and uh, that's a fun fight against Nasrat Hakparast. Um, also, this weekend, we have the debut of Yoel Romero against Phil Davis in Bellator. Kind of crazy that he's fighting in the same building where he made his UFC debut back in 2013. Uh, the um, SAP Center back then, known as the HP Pavilion, he beat Clifford Starks via flying knee back then. Now he's debuting in the main event against Phil Davis. And Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann in the main event of the uh, UFC card. Uh, no post-fight show for that one. So uh, this will be your only offering from us this weekend. But uh, let's quickly touch on before we say goodbye. And I think we'll have more time to fully digest this new league that is coming out once they finally make an announcement. I'm told they're going to try to reveal more over the next few days. But man, I feel like I work for these guys. <laughs> <laughs> because like everyone keeps hitting me up about information, contact info, yeah. more like it's like guys, I'm not working for them. A, I'm not their PR director. B, so I'm just saying like go talk to those guys. I want nothing to do with this. Like I'm just reporting it. But just to catch everyone uh, up to speed, this is what I know so far about this new quote unquote league. This is what I reported. Sorry for going along here, guys. Um, I reported earlier this week, according to sources, a number of influential industry individuals have come together to create a new MMA league that is your. Uh, that is structured more like the NBA or NHL rather than your typical MMA promotion. Uh, this new league would also include an athlete association that implements a CBA, that's collective bargaining agreement, with a 50-50 revenue share, guaranteed contracts, health insurance, career-ending insurance, and a pension plan. The plan is to announce the venture in the coming days. They are hoping to launch in 2023. That's what I reported a few days ago. Small update to that. Um, that they provided for me uh, because they were getting hit up with all kinds of questions. This is what they told me. Um, the new league is structured as a nonprofit where independent franchise owners will roster a team of athletes signed from free agency or via the league entry draft. Each team will compete in home and away competitions in a traditional league format vying for a playoff spot. The owners and athletes are governed by the league's bylaws and collective bargaining agreement, which is enforced by the commissioner <laughs> and board of governors. Chuck, we have seen yeah. leagues before. We have seen teams before. Look up the IFL. Um, yes. It all sounds very ambitious. A lot of buzz they have created just with this one piece of info. 
with what you know of this, and by the way, I don't know much more. I know a couple of the people behind yeah. it, but I don't know much more. So don't come to me for more. Like I, I really don't. What do you gotcha. feel about what you have heard about this uh, this new venture so far? Well, I was digging for more. In fact, on our uh, on our text thread, I had asked who the people involved with this are, and you know what Ariel texted me? He a Garfield <laughs> like waving, a Garfield waving. That's what I got. Yes. Now this, you know, it's uh, it's it's interesting. I guess when I when I'm looking at something like this, and like we said, we we did we did have the IFL, but this was way back in the day when I felt like everybody was throwing things up against the wall to see what would stick. The UFC kind of had the the um, you know the model down. There were other things going on around it, obviously, where you're trying to figure out how what can we do or how can we structure this differently or how can we be more like the mainstream or whatever. Like there there, we've seen different versions of this, but I think that when scrutiny over the last decade for um, you know, collective bargaining and unionizing and all of that stuff has been an issue, fighter pay and all those things. When you get to something like this again, now forget the model for a minute, but when you just have those buzzwords involved, there's at least a, um, a little bit more of a, an intrigue to it, right? Like I feel like because you're seeing somebody actually ad- directly address a glaring problem <laughs> in, in fighting, and you're and you're wondering how will it do now that we've been talking about this for a long time, including fighters themselves. So I feel like um, even though I don't believe truly that like teams and stuff like that makes sense to an individual sport like fighting, it's always interesting to see somebody try something like this again as we've evolved in the psyche of the sport. Because I feel like when you're talking about collective bargaining, you're talking about 50-50 profit sharing, and you're talking about nonprofit stuff, and you're talking about individual owners and everything else, it adds a very interesting wrinkle. And I would have to say that I'm vastly, and I remember the IFL uh, back in the day, like I didn't have that much interest, but I'm vastly more intrigued by something like this now. So I guess, uh, I guess there is this level of curiosity as to how this will work. Yeah, I don't like the team thing at all. I, I, it's, it just doesn't make sense to me. I can remember trying to watch the IFL back in the day with their stupid yeah. team logos. It didn't work. Crap. Hated it. Um, so not excited yeah. about that. But I am, as as Almero, what Chuck said, to see these kind of things being, you know, the core value of a promotion is very, very exciting. I think it's very positive. But as Chuck said as well, the who is important. Like we were all very excited about this would be union until we saw Bjorn True. Rebney pop up at the top of it. You know, like it does matter who who, <laughs> who are the people there and does it make sense? Are, are they the right people? Um, I also think to make an impact with a business model like this, you need to have big fighters. You need big signings. You need eyeballs. You need people watching it to actually make it work. So I think there's a lot yeah. to happen. Not excited about the team thing, but really interested in the core values of the promotion as it stands. And look, Ariel, if you... Like you're saying, you got uh, bombarded. I just shared your story on Instagram, and people are like, "What is Ariel saying about this? What is this?" And I was like, "I don't know I anything. Know. I wish I didn't share it out." Look but. up any basic article, and they're they're all about Ariel Hawani reporting. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> I, I was actually surprised at the reaction. It was just you know a paragraph of information, yeah. and what that tells me is there's a massive appetite for this. Mm. The fighters, you know secretly are all hoping for something like this and so what they're really hoping for is all like they don't necessarily in my opinion dream of another promotion popping up although that would help Mm. them because the more competition the better it's that other stuff right the revenue and the pension and all that and so what they're really hoping for is a union um and yet they're not coming Mm -hmm. together to make the union if you even look at my instagram yeah come on (laughs) 
if, if you even look, it's like a, there's a lot of interesting people who liked it and commented on it. And you're like, oh, wow, that's interesting. You clearly are in support of this. Here's the biggest red yeah. flag for me. It's not necessarily uh, the the team thing, which I'm not a fan of, the league thing, which I'm not a fan of, the playoff thing, which I'm not a fan of. I just don't think it can work. It's, that's that's not problem. what the fight game is. At the end of the day, it's about personalities and grudge matches and all that stuff. Yeah, right. But if you look, if you want to compare yourself to other sports, fine. If you look at the the formation of unions in basketball, in baseball, and all, in NFL, those were done by the players coming together not by the league making it for them. Yeah. And so it's a red flag when you have the league putting this in place for them. Now, they could say like, hey, guys, here, we're open to having a seat at the table for the fighters and collective bargaining and revenue sharing. But to me, it feels more legit and it feels more sincere when it's the fighters coming together and saying, no, we want our seat. We want our say. We want to talk right. about X, Y, and Z. So it almost makes me think like they don't truly understand how it works because no employer is forming the union for the employees. It works the other right. way. It's the employees who are making it. So that to me feels like we're almost living pie in the sky. It's like, okay, well, what's really the motive behind all of this? Because we've never seen someone come out and say like, hey guys, we're making you a union. It just doesn't work that way. If you know anything about you know the history of, of, of these types of, of things. It's, al it's almost like the fighters want this league that is not already already formed they want them to rise to a level of success that will force the ufc to instill a similar situation in their promotion that's that's the idea yes. i'm getting from it but it, i mean that's a long happening. way it's a long long way again the ufc is not going to do this out of the kindness of their heart yeah, of like course. they continue to get away <laughs> with everything like they'll put the bitcoin ad on the kit and the fighters get zero and no one says a peep why wouldn't they keep going and taking more and taking more and taking more? Like, do you really think they're going to sit around and be like, you know what? Gosh darn it. We need to give the fighters some more. They're not asking for it. They're not complaining. Yeah, one guy's saying this and that. But like, you know what? Let's give them a 50-50. Let's raise it, you know, 34%. No, they're not doing money. that. I have enough money, yeah. you know? <laughs> they're not doing that. They're not doing it out of the kindness of their heart. They're never going to do it. And by the way, they shouldn't do it. The only reason these things ever happen is when the employees, the whatever's, they, they push back. Uh, it's not incumbent upon them to do it on behalf of those guys. Like they need to push and and, and speak up. So I think that they're they're. I think there's a market for it. I think there's an opportunity. But like I wish it was all right. If you're gonna do that, forget about the league stuff. Why do we need to do the yeah. league stuff? What is that? Horrible. It just complicates things. Exactly. It, it, it just doesn't make what the sport sense. It's meant to be when you're starting to put teams yeah. and stuff in the, in the mix. It's I just, the I hate it. you know square peg in the round hole type yeah. thing. It just doesn't make sense. The I the IFL in theory, you know, if it was going to work, it would have worked on that level, but it didn't at all. You know, it was like it would have at least showed you there's something to that layout. And even the PFL, when they talk about their season, to me, is just yeah, it's just it's not. Um, it's not something that makes sense intuitively to the fight game. Yeah, like I'd be tuning into IFL to watch a fight that was on the card, and they try right. and just no. mess me up with all these graphics about yeah. how the sharks are getting on yeah. against the it's tornadoes. Just, I hated that. I like, hated what, what's that. Going on. Nobody about? wants that structure anyway. This whole thing was based on rogue people who came together and made this fight thing work. It's like it's not going to work in the structure of other sports like that. All right, guys. TST cool. has to go hiking. He's got to go to his coffee. He's got things disappear to do. Disappear into the mountains was, yeah, is what it was. Yeah, yeah. he's got to go disappear into the mountains. Watch there be massive breaking news in like, you know, <laughs> two hours. And then we'll be back. That's the beauty yeah. of this show, by the way. If yes. there's breaking news, we're on here. If there's a big fight, we're on here. 
so we'll be back next Friday for the Wayans UFC 266, and then we'll be back immediately after the main event pay-per-view um, on Saturday, late Saturday, early Sunday morning to wrap the whole bad boy up. If you guys missed any of this, uh, this should be up in when, TST? 30 minutes, 20 minutes on the Ringer MMA show uh, podcast feed? What are you thinking? 20. Uh, two to three hours. Two to three hours. All right. I All think right. we're getting a little quicker with the whole thing. He's getting his feet wet over here. It's a dream job for TST. He always told me, I want to work at the Ringer and Spotify. I want to learn from the great... Yep. Uh, Bill Simmons and Steve Cerruti and Patrick Muldowney. Woo! Shout out to Big mm-hmm. Pat in the chat as well. And of course, Holding can't forget down. about uh, our good friend Dan Zampillo. All right, uh, before we go, final thoughts, Chuck. What's on your mind? <laughs> oh, man. Long live Carlos Condit. <laughs> Long live Carlos Condit. I thought you wanted to have a final say on Kelvin Gaslow. You know, I really do have to start thinking of it. If you're going to throw to me every time at the end, I better start coming up with something. (laughs) Any any last words about Gilbert Burns for you, mate? I think I've said enough about old Gilbert. Uh, Someone's probably going to cut this up, send it to him. Uh, You know, he's going to write me. He's going to tweet me. His whole team's going to tweet me. But guess guess what? Guess it's the best part about all. I muted them all, so they can't get to me. And that's the best part about the mute. It's like shouting into the void. You don't block because then they they, they are acknowledged. They know you just let them shout into the void. It's a beautiful thing. That's masterful trolling right there. Uh, Yoani107. Yes, baby. Amen. Hope you got your shirts. Uh, Please do check them out. It's for a great cause. Back to P.F. Chang's we go, Pizzi. For now, for TST, for PC, Pizzi Carol. That's actually, I think we're onto something there because you're nothing but PC, 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 Carol. And for the man in the hat, Chuck Minnenholm, Ariel, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.